Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. This summer, I say unto you, game on mole. And not in the traditional sense of the phrase us Aussies have heard in the schoolyard or at the back deck of a barbecue. It is a campaign launched by Melanoma Institute Australia as a call to look after your skin this summer. Welcome to episode number 29 of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I am speaking with Dr. Annika Smith, dermatologist with Melanoma Institute Australia. Dr. Annika Smith is also a fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists and a consultant dermatologist at several private clinics, including Melanoma Institute Australia and public hospitals across Sydney. She's been published in local and international demoscopy journals, has presented at national and international conferences, and has co-authored several book chapters in the field of dermatology. Dr. Smith shares how her journey into dermatology inspired a special interest in melanoma and the campaign of the season, Game on Mole. I started by asking Dr. Smith what she thought was the biggest misconception about melanoma. I think there are a few misconceptions about melanoma. A common misconception I encounter in clinical practice is the fact that a lot of people think it's an old person's disease Mm. and really melanoma can affect anyone and everyone. It does not discriminate according to age, gender or race. I think particularly amongst the younger demographic, there's a sense of invincibility, a sense that this skin cancer won't get them. And a lot of people really misunderstand the gravity of melanoma and that is that it is the most deadly form of skin cancer and is certainly a threat to your life if if it's not detected early and you know not treated so I think because skin cancer is a, a cancer of the skin some people can downplay the importance of it and we know that melanoma yes it can be confined to the skin but it can certainly spread to the lymphatic system the lymph nodes and distant organs and be just as severe as any other organ cancer. I think we need to reinforce the reality and that is that we have the highest rate of melanoma in the world in this Mm. country. It is the leading cancer in the 15 to 39-year-old age group and one person will die from melanoma every five hours in this country based on 2019 statistics and one person will be diagnosed with melanoma every half an hour. And these are alarming statistics and we very much don't want these to be our national statistics. And again, from my clinical experience, until someone has been directly affected by melanoma or involved via a family member or friend 
and they see how devastating and deadly this disease can potentially be, they potentially don't take it seriously enough. Mm. And I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the episode, but the current campaign we have running at the Melanoma Institute Australia over summer game on mole is essentially a call to action for all Australians, particularly young Australians, to take melanoma seriously this summer and in doing so save lives. And it's not just about a summer campaign. We need to maintain the momentum long term in terms of the fight against melanoma. Yes, I completely agree. So tell us more about your role and how you came to be in this position. Sure. So I'm a consultant dermatologist at the Melanoma Institute Australia, and I work at several other private practices and public hospital settings here in Sydney. I have a special interest in medical dermatology and in particular skin cancer and melanoma diagnostics, management and prevention. And I'm very much passionate about melanoma awareness and prevention. Before dermatology, I was involved in research, which was conducted in far north Queensland, which was looking at some protective practice and behavior in children. And we're able to demonstrate that with regular sun protection in childhood, namely with the use of sunscreen and sun protective clothing, there were less moles that were acquired in childhood. And we know that the number of moles that you have serves as a very potent risk marker for melanoma. And I think it was this, in my formative years, this research that very much fueled my interest and passion about melanoma and in particular melanoma prevention in a country such as ours that has the biggest rate of melanoma in the world. I'm very passionate about ensuring some protective behavior and practice is reinforced in the early years. We know that childhood is a critical period for reducing the lifetime risk of skin cancer and in particular melanoma. And we know that it's estimated that 50% of your lifetime sun exposure occurs in the first 20 years of life. So we really need to do all we can to reach the younger demographic and encourage good sun protective behaviours and practices from an early age and really ensure our younger generation continue the momentum on a primary preventative front. As I mentioned before, it is the leading cancer in this age group. And while I'm passionate about melanoma in general, very much so about prevention and addressing those uh, very important formative years. What an important mission it is and career that you've taken. Now, what causes melanoma? So melanoma essentially is caused by excessive ultraviolet radiation and UVR is essentially a form of invisible energy from the sun. You can't see it or feel it, but it's always there. And essentially the UV radiation from the sun damages the DNA in melanocytes, which are mole cells which reside in the skin. And it also impacts on tumor suppression genes, which allows the initiation of tumor development. And in addition to that, the UV radiation suppresses the immune response, so it prevents recovery from this damage. UV radiation is a very powerful carcinogen, or if you like, cancer-causing agent. And melanoma risk is certainly a composite of genetic and environmental factors. Overwhelmingly, the main environmental risk is UVR or sunlight, which contributes to more than 90% of melanomas. We estimate that about 10% of melanomas have a genetic basis. And this very much reinforces the fact that the majority of melanomas are caused by UV radiation or excessive sun exposure, and that sun protection and sun avoidance can thereby prevent the majority of melanomas, which puts us in a very powerful position. 
So the mole cells or melanocytes, once they're damaged by UV radiation, they divide and they grow in the normal fashion and in an uncontrolled way. And this process may remain confined to the skin. However, melanoma can be quite extensive and grow deep into the skin. And if it does, it has access to the dermis where the blood vessels, nerves, lymphatics lie, and thereby it has access to the systemic circulation. So in the context of advanced melanoma, the melanoma or cancer cells, if you like, are able to spread to nearby lymph nodes or distant organs, such as you know the brain, the lung or the gut. Uh, so in addition to UV radiation and sunlight exposure, we think the main risk factors for melanoma are having delete, not we think, we know. So in addition to excessive UV radiation and sunlight, particularly in the first 10 to 20 years of life, the main risk factors for melanoma include a prior history of melanoma or family history of melanoma, the number of nevi, which is just another word for moles you have, and certainly the greater number of moles you have serves as a risk marker for melanoma, and also the number of atypical moles you have. So these are funny looking moles. In addition to that, your phenotypic characteristics, so having fair phenotypics in the way of light skin, hair and eye colour serves as a risk factor for melanoma. We've mentioned sun exposure, but in particular extensive sun exposure in, in the formative years, particularly the first 10 to 20 years of life. It's a particularly vulnerable period for, for sun exposure. A prior solarium use serves as a risk marker. We know that if solarium use has occurred before age 35, that melanoma risk may be increased by up to 65%. And being immunosuppressed, whether that be due to an underlying medical condition or medications one is taking, is also a risk marker for melanoma. So people are often surprised to learn that melanomas can occur anywhere that we have skin. So are you able to elaborate on this more? Sure. So yes, it's true. Melanomas can occur on any part of the skin and it may not just be the skin, but more unusual sites such as concealed sites in the scalp, mucosal surfaces, so the eye, the mouth, the genitals, the nail unit, and even acral surfaces, which is essentially the palms and soles. Mucosal melanomas are rare and acral melanomas are uncommon and they tend to have a genetic basis. That is, they're genetically driven and not thought to be linked to sunlight exposure. Typically, the most common subtype of melanoma, which is superficial spreading melanoma, occurs on the back in men and the legs in women. These are the intermittently sun-exposed sites, and melanoma risk is very much linked to high-intensity intermittent sun exposure, particularly in the first 10 to 20 years of life, which we've mentioned. Melanoma can also be due to cumulative lifetime sun exposure, and this very much happens with the lentigo maligna melanoma subtype, which typically occurs on chronically sun-exposed sites such as the face. So I think it's important for your listeners to know that melanoma has many different faces or presentations, if you like, which really reinforces the importance of knowing your skin so you're in a, a better position to detect anything new or changing. And certainly with respect to self-skin surveillance, employing the assistance of people close to you, partner, family member, friend to help you look at hard to see places such as the scalp, the back of the neck, the back where ordinarily it may be difficult to detect anything new or changing. The melanocytes, the mole cells, not only reside in the skin, 
but the mucosal surfaces, you know, the eye and other mucosal surfaces. So I think this just reinforces that melanoma can indeed occur anywhere. Yeah, I think that's really important to note as well because I think there is a bit of misconception about that. Now, Australia has one of the highest rates of skin cancer in the world. Why is this? Look, we're a genetically susceptible, predominantly fair-skinned population that's poorly suited to our environment with the high ambient UV levels we incur here in Australia. Mm. And this relates to a combination of factors pertaining to evolution, geography in terms of our proximity to the equator, even the Earth's orbit around the sun in the southern hemisphere. The UV levels are higher than the northern hemisphere. So, look, in short genetically susceptible fair skin population ill-suited to 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 our climate i think too in australia we are very much a sun loving culture and have a great love for the outdoors and this very much is at odds with our attitudes and behavior towards sun protective practice and with this a complacency really regarding sun protective behavior and as we've already discussed regarding the importance and potential gravity of diagnosis such as melanoma. And you mentioned before about melanoma can occur anywhere on the skin. We now know that. Mm. There is another misconception that melanoma is always big and it's a big, ugly mole. And we know this isn't particularly true. They can be discrete. Take, for example, an amelanotic melanoma. Mm -hmm. So why do you think there is this confusion about big, ugly mole? Do you think we need to change our terminology of what to look for? In terms of the pictures people see, in terms of health promotion messages, often it is a big, ugly, pigmented lesion, the ugly duckling as commonly referred to. And you're exactly right. Melanoma can present in any way, shape or form. It can be a small, innocent dot on the skin or something more impressive. And indeed, they don't need to have colour. As you say, they can be amelanotic. So as a general rule, I tell my patients, look, we think up to 70% of melanomas may arise as new lesions on the skin and about 30% arise within a pre-existing mole. And in that case, you're looking out for change in size, shape or colour. And we think about 20% may be amelanotic. That is, they're lacking pigment or colour. And these ones are particularly tricky because they evade detection and they're often, you know, underdiagnosed or late to diagnosis and it can be associated with a poor prognosis. Mm. Some early melanomas are featureless, so they don't look like a melanoma at all. And you may only know that they're a melanoma by virtue of change over time, which is a very sensitive marker for melanoma, or comparison with total body photography images. And if it's evident that this spot is indeed a new spot, then the diagnostic suspicion for melanoma increases significantly. With respect to, you know, should we change our terminology or algorithms, I'm sure everyone's heard of the ABCDE rule in terms of trying to assess whether a a lesion may be a lesion of concern with respect to melanoma. And broadly speaking, the A stands for asymmetry of the lesion, the B stands for the border of the the lesion being irregular, C is for colour variegation, D is for diameter greater than six millimetres, and E is for elevation. You know, potentially, as you say, along with the A for asymmetry, we should have amelanotic, that is, you know, lacking colour. I think it's an important point to note 
for your listeners that melanoma can look like anything. It can be a pinprick, it can be something large, yeah, pin, pinprick in size rather, or something large and ugly. It can be brown, black, it could be pink or red. The bottom line is if there's anything new on your skin or anything changing, you get it seen too promptly. And I think while there are no guidelines on this front and certainly population screening for melanoma has not been found to have a mortality benefit, what I ordinarily suggest to my patients, most of us have some kind of risk factor for melanoma in terms of our phenotypic characteristics, in terms of skin, hair, eye colour, our sun exposure and our formative years. I ordinarily suggest regular self-surveillance on a monthly basis so you don't forget and then formal clinical surveillance, whether that be with a GP, skin cancer physician or dermatologist on an annual basis or perhaps more or less depending on your specific set of risk markers. So Dr. Smith, what are the current treatments for melanoma? Okay, so before we talk about treatment, it might be good to just outline the stages of melanoma because this very much determines the treatment. So the stage of melanoma is determined by the thickness of the melanoma, which is referred to as the Breslow thickness. And this is a key determinant to prognosis. And the stage is also determined by the location of the melanoma, whether that's in the skin, the lymph node basin, or distant sites such as organ involvement. So early stage melanoma is confined to skin and is associated on the whole with a good prognosis. And the majority of early melanomas can be cured with uh, definitive surgery and this pertains to stage one or two melanoma. Mm. Some of your listeners may be familiar with melanoma in situ and this is the very primitive early stage of melanoma which is confined to the epidermis, the top layer of the skin and it has no associated thickness and obviously is associated with a very good prognosis. Advanced melanoma involves melanoma that's spread to lymph nodes or distant organs. And in the case of lymph node involvement, that's stage three, or distant organ involvement, that's stage four. And treatment for advanced melanoma, stage three and four, has improved markedly in recent years and has increased life expectancy considerably. And we're very fortunate, and a lot of the research and activity on this front has has indeed happened at at the Melanoma Institute. Prevention, however, is better than cure, and and early detection is key. So if the melanoma is caught early, and that is, it, it still remains confined to the skin, your chance of cure is much greater and more than 90% of melanomas if caught early can be treated with simple surgery. So in answer to your question about treatment, early stage melanoma often requires wide local excision and the excision margins are very much contingent on the thickness or Breslow thickness of the melanoma. In some instances, depending on the Breslow thickness, a sentinel node biopsy may be performed to look to see if indeed there has been bred to the lymph nodes. And patients are often staged according to the results of these investigations. It may involve CT PET scanning, looking for you know, more extensive or, or distant spread. So early stage disease is surgery. Stage three or four disease, it very much depends on a combination of things, but typically it may be surgery in combination with adjuvant therapy. This could be targeted or immunotherapy. Um, It may even involve radiotherapy to regional lymph node basins. And for stage four melanoma, very much targeted therapy and immunotherapy, again, according to specific factors pertinent to an individual uh, are the mainstay of therapy for advanced melanoma. Yes. And you mentioned that there have been changes to treatments in the last several years. What are the main differences in treatments for melanoma? Oh, look, I think the main change 
on the whole is in the context of advanced melanoma. Once upon a time, we had very few options for these people. And now we have amazing life prolonging therapy, primarily in the way of targeted and immunotherapy. And these have absolutely revolutionized rather the, the treatment space. So for me, the main changes are very much to do with advanced stage melanoma. So what do you think is the future of melanoma? Research, treatment and prevention both in Australia and around the world. So with respect to the future and melanoma research, this is a big space. But from my perspective, I think development of risk prediction tools, so better identifying patients at risk, is a key focus and is certainly underway as we speak. Further, genetic profiling of patients most susceptible and most at risk. With respect to treatment, I think our treatment for advanced melanoma will continue to evolve and become more refined with time. I think uncovering the reasons for resistant mechanisms to advanced therapy, such as immune therapy, will be a a focus and is currently a focus of future research. And, you know, over the coming years, I think discovering more personalised therapies too, and again, this relates to genetic profiling, will be more pertinent from a preventative perspective. I think it's very important that this remains a focus of future research and we need to continue to look into effective health promotion strategies that involve, you know, a multi-strategic approach across multiple platforms to ensure that the message regarding melanoma prevention is effectively disseminated and also ensure an effective means of targeting a younger demographic with respect to health promotion messages that are contemporary relevant and resonate and I certainly think that the campaign Game on Mole serves to achieve that. Yes I'd love to hear more about the latest campaign issued by the Melanoma Institute of Australia hashtag Game on Mole. Mm. This started recently and is this predominantly to target the younger generation? Yeah, look, we're using this iconic Australian catch cry in its most literal form to denote that we're serious about fighting melanoma and serious about saving lives. And the aim of the campaign is really to target all Australians, but particularly engage young Australians to join the fight against melanoma this summer. People can support the campaign by buying a Game on Mole t-shirt and wearing it proudly over summer in order to start a potentially life-saving conversation about melanoma. It's vital we keep the conversation about melanoma going with respect to awareness and prevention. And in addition to that, as part of the campaign, we're encouraging people to take photos of their skin before and at the end of summer so they're better able to detect anything new or changing and seek prompt medical review accordingly. And this is simply to engage people in partaking in their own skin surveillance and being proactive, essentially. We'd love all Australians to support the campaign and particularly young Australians to get on board. I mean, we truly hope that the message resonates with the, with the younger demographic. Yes, that's fantastic. And it's such a great campaign. That's so timely. Where can people find more about melanoma? There are lots of different sources. You can start off with your local doctor, dermatologist at the Melanoma Institute Australia. We have education evenings for the general public, GP specialists. In addition to that, I think there are a number of good websites. We've got an education portal on the Melanoma Institute Australia website. The Game on Mole website has a lot of useful information regarding sun protection and early detection 
from a dermatology perspective, DermNet NZ is an excellent resource that's put together by Australian and New Zealand dermatologists regarding all things to do with the skin, including melanoma. And the Cancer Council, Cancer Council Australia also has a, a wealth of information, um, perhaps a little detailed, but for you know, clinicians or scientists or people who really just want more detail, our National Melanoma Guidelines, the Wiki Guidelines, are available on the internet as well. And look, for patients who have had a prior melanoma, we often provide them with specific information booklet aimed at delivering all the key information and, you know, assisting them in their, in their journey along the melanoma pathway. Fantastic. So many resources. And may I just add, Dr Smith, that when Melanoma Institute Australia launched this portal earlier in the year, I had a look and it is filled with information. So, so many great resources. So I definitely recommend all listeners to have a look at that as well. So Dr Smith, for listeners, what are three pieces of advice for either themselves or loved ones regarding melanoma prevention, detection or treatment? Okay. So I think my three pieces of advice really come down to prevention, early detection and spreading the message. So with respect to prevention, as we've discussed, we can prevent the majority of melanomas through basic sun protective measures. It's really simple. We can all do it. The best form of sun protection is really employing the full complement of sun protective strategies. No one method offers complete protection against the sun. And we all know what those are. It's appropriate use of sunscreen, broad spectrum of 50 plus in the appropriate quantity. And if you're outside with most of your skin exposed on the beach during summer, that's seven teaspoons of sunscreen, one for the head and neck, one for each limb, two for the trunk. Mm. We know that we apply about a quarter to half the amount we should, which effectively reduces the SPF. So appropriate use of sunscreen is key. And we've got evidence to show that regular use of sunscreen can reduce your melanoma risk by 50% and also reduce the thickness of the melanoma. We've got evidence to show that regular sunscreen use, in fact, reduces most types of skin cancer, but in particular, randomized controlled trial evidence showing that it reduces your melanoma risk by 50%. In addition to that broad-brimmed hat, sun protective clothing, that may just be long sleeves, clothes with a tight weave, or clothes with a UPF you know, protection factor, sunglasses, because as we know, melanoma while rare can affect the eye other skin cancers also can affect the eye so the eye is very susceptible to uv radiation seeking shade where possible shade does provide good sun protection and avoiding the sun during the peak periods of the day because we know this is when the uvb the cancer causing rays peak so that's generally two hours either side of midday you know 10 till 3 with respect to early detection we know that if a melanoma is caught early it offers you the greatest chance of cure. So we tell people to know the skin they're in, to frequently survey their skin for anything new, anything changing, whether that be pigmented or amelanotic, and seek prompt medical review if there's any concern whatsoever. So to partake in their own skin surveillance and to seek formal review on an intermittent basis. And my third point was about spreading the message. So we want people to share this kind of information with their family, their friends, their loved ones. We very much need to lead by example where some protective behaviour and attitudes are concerned. And on an individual level, we very much need to be the change that we want to see. So I encourage people to 
prevent, detect and spread the message and lead by example because I really think that together we can definitely fight this disease. Wow, what fantastic advice. Well, thank you so much, Dr Smith, for giving us so many statistics. That was just absolutely jam-packed full of information. So I know our listeners are going to love that and I really appreciate you taking your time out of your schedule. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. What an interview. Dr. Smith shared with us a jam-packed 30 minutes of melanoma statistics and prevention tips. The three deeper-than-skin insights that stood out to me were, number one, people think that melanoma is an old people's disease. However, it is actually the most common form of cancer in those aged between 15 to 39 years of age. It is so important to be aware of your skin from even a really early age. Number two, 90% of melanomas are caused by excessive UVR exposure. And this seems like a really, really scary statistic. However, I flipped that on its head and I actually feel that it's really empowering because it means that we can be proactive in the prevention and early detection of melanoma. After this episode was recorded, Shameless Podcast started a campaign dubbed I Pledge in an effort to stop glamorizing suntanning. This message is getting out there with the Game on Mole campaign and the I Pledge campaign. And with the likes of increased education, we can really make a huge impact on preventing more deaths from melanoma. So share this podcast episode. Number three, use the... A, B, C, D, E's of skin cancer for self-monitoring, but also remember that up to 20% of melanomas are what we call amelanotic, and this means that it is without color. So also be aware of pink, red, and pale colored changes on your skin. It was so wonderful to have Dr. Smith in the hot seat and hear so many statistics on melanoma in Australia. You can get involved in the Game on Mole campaign by purchasing a t-shirt and starting a potentially life-saving conversation. If you haven't already taken your photo of your skin, take a photo of your skin and at the end of summer, take another one. I can guarantee this t-shirt is certainly going to be a conversation starter. I've had several funny yet vitally important conversations while wearing my tea over the start of summer. I would absolutely love to hear what your three skin insights were. So take a screenshot of your phone while listening to this episode and let me know what they were. Be sure to tag us on social media at dermhealth.co and you'll go into the draw to win a summer kit kindly gifted by many of our sponsors. We've only got two summer kits to give away, so get tagging quickly. I look forward to bringing you more podcast episodes as important as and as interesting as this one throughout 2020. So keep in touch and I'll see you again or hear from you again next week. Bye for now. If you know someone experiencing a skin conditional concern and you're enjoying these episodes, then be sure to share the podcast with them. It may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize.